0: Sometimes why
1: sometimes
0: normal. On this episode, I have Dr. Michael Bryan join me. He's the author of several UFO and paranormal books, as well as being a travel psychologist. The first three minutes we discuss a few travel stories. And then dive in headfirst to the really good stuff. We discuss the modern UFO phenomenon, if World War II orbs were German technology, Congress's sudden interest in UFOs and rebranding them UAPs, why Tom DeLong and Logan Paul are the face of disclosure. Then we switch gears to the paranormal and discuss synchronicities, haunted hotels, and festivals at popular UFO sites. An action packed two hour podcast, truly one of my favorites, and Michael was up for talking about any topic we encountered. On the road to strange enjoy the episode are you looking for cbd for your pet my friends at pure pet wellness have what you need they use the highest quality ingredients while other companies may use synthetic oils in their cbd Pure pet wellness uses organic ingredients organically grown hemp organic coconut oil organic shea butter organic beeswax and that's just to name a few a family owned and operated company that also offers fast shipping Go to purepetwellness.com for all your pet's CBD needs and use the discount code WILD and WEIRD at checkout. That's WILD, A-N-D, WEIRD. Treat your animal right. Go to purepetwellness.com. Are you looking to buy a home in New Jersey, escape the city and move to the suburbs? Finally purchased a vacation home on the lake or down the shore? Maybe you're one of the lucky ones who are retiring and moving out of state. If so, let me help you. Keller Williams and the Real Estate Professional Group have what you need to make your goals come true. Reach out and have a conversation with someone who will put you first. Contact Brian McCoach at 856-321-1212 or email Brian McCoach at KW.com. Welcome to another episode of Wild, Weird, and Sometimes Normal. I'm your host, Brian. And Tonight, my guest is Michael Bryan. He is an author and travel psychologist. Welcome, Michael.
1: Hi. glad to be here.
0: Hey, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, no problem. No problem. Thank you for coming on. Michael, you have lived a life of a strange affair, word to say. Exciting, (laughs) definitely.
1: It's a mixture of all kinds of things. No question about it. For example... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, once upon a time, I was on photo safari in Africa. And uh, on the way back, I'm sitting in an airplane, and you look over, and here's this blonde-haired guy, all tan, wearing shorts, and he is your typical safari guy. So he looked at me. I look pretty much like I am now, but a little younger. He said, well, what did you bag? I said, what do you mean? He said, what did you shoot? I said, I only shot pictures. Why? What? Why are you asking? Well, look at your shirt. This is a gun pad for a gun. I had no idea. I went into a safari shop and bought a safari outfit to wear on Halloween or any other time, and here it was. I was just as stereotypical to him as he was to me. Uh, As a travel psychologist, I have collected a gazillion stories uh, from all kinds of things that are travel-related, safety and security, even to the book I just put out a couple of days ago, Travel Tales, Toilets, mm-hmm. toilet Stories, because that's one of the top 10 questions that people ask when they're in a group and they're meeting for coffee in the mornings. Well, how'd you do last night? I mean, number one and number two, you know, that was always a topic of conversation. So I've covered a wide, a wide area of subjects in my day.
0: Why do they make airplane toilets so small that not even the average man or woman could fit in there?
1: Well, one of the reasons is that when the plane loses pressure and you happen to be sitting on the can, you could get sucked in and not be able to get out until you got to a lower altitude. And that happened to somebody. I heard that story. They dropped an altitude. The air pressure went down and the person was stuck. Literally, I call that story hot buttered buns because they tried <laughs> to pour melted butter around to help the person get unplugged. But what happened is when the plane came to a lower altitude, the person was OK and none the worse for wear. But oh, I know man. we don't want to dwell dwell on travel toilet stories. So I'm game. No, for not for too much. Yeah, We're, we're not in the
0: we're, we'll keep the travel humor. I had shitty jokes planned. I was I, would, I bit my tongue a little bit. Uh, I guess I let it out now. But let's talk about the good stuff. Let's talk about sure. UFOs and paranormal.
1: Absolutely. Okay, where should we begin? Let's start with you. You've personally experienced UFOs? I, I haven't. I don't believe I haven't, but it's quite possible as a baby that I might have witnessed an, an alien. Maybe. I call this my elf story. And it's really unusual. I was like maybe two. I don't know how old I was, but I was I was in a crib and I was looking at the window of my little bedroom and I had Venetian blinds and I saw what looked like a green elf come through the window and go into my closet. Uh, you know, like through the window and into the closet without any doors opening or shutting. And I always thought of that as an elf. But I was so interested and glued to the subject of UFOs as a teenager. I think I looked at a magazine, might have been Look Magazine. I'm not sure which it was, maybe Life Magazine. And it was an article on UFOs being spotted crossing the skies like in New Mexico. And I, and I thought, wow, this looks important. And most people might have just laughed it off. But I thought, well, you know, I stuck with that subject among other things, most of my life. I've had a lot of paranormal experiences, absolutely more than my share. And that's personally convinced me that I was on some kind of a right track with these unusual, odd sorts of experiences, while at the same time, I was your everyday, uh, well-behaved social scientist, graduate student, and undergraduate student. No, you know strictly looking at science but at the same time being a closet ufoologist or paranormalologist
0: so you mentioned in your high school years your teenage years you were drawn to the ufo subject through life magazine what time frame is
1: that what what I'm sorry. What, what time what frame years? was that yeah yeah what years around um i'm going to say i'm going to say probably 1952 or 53, because in 1952, UFOs was a big subject in Washington, D.C., as, for example, has been in the early 2000s in the modern era. Washington, D.C. was swamped with UFOs flying overhead. That was just one of the major flying saucer flaps in the United States. So it's no wonder that a magazine article or two came out around that time. Popularizing the subject because so many people were curious about it then.
0: I thought that was proven to be all swamp gas. Well, <laughs> the, <laughs> that was the
1: a person, tough. now you laugh, but <laughs> that's the what true they said. The story yeah, about. Yeah. Sp- right. Go ahead. The true story. Well, I don't think it would be swamp gas or cow gas over Washington, D.C., but it mm-hmm. was around uh, that time. Oh, no, 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 no. I would say much later. Yeah. jay Allen Hynek, who was the astronomer consultant to the US Air Force and Project Blue Book. And he was the dyed-in-the-wool scientist who wanted to research UFO cases and, and see if there's any basis for reality of them uh, or to see if they're explain, you could explain them away. And what happened is he began to feel manipulated by the Air Force that he was primarily, his, the purpose for him being there was in the Air Force's eyes to debunk the subject. And he once, I guess the the point where he just came to a a horrible conclusion about it was that somewhere in Michigan, maybe it was University of Michigan or Michigan State, I don't remember exactly, but a lot of the kids in the dorms reported seeing UFOs near campus, off campus, And he sort of rushed to judgment and kind of ruled it, explained it away as swamp gas. And that became a joke. I think he was, I have a feeling he was somewhat embarrassed by it. And then he quit at some point. I think it was probably, he had enough. This is my guess. I don't know exactly. And he went on to be the father of modern day ufology. He's the one that, broke away from Project Blue Book in the Air Force and became a serious researcher of the subject and knew it was just ridiculous just to come up with patently false explanations for UFO sightings. And then he kind of became a founder of ufology, scientific ufology in the modern era. The modern era happened around the time of the so-called Roswell Crash, of a spaceship. You know, there's a lot of people on both sides of the fence of that. But that was the beginning of the modern era. And it also happened where I live now in the Seattle area, where a pilot saw UFOs flying near Mount Rainier, the big mountain in the area. And he said he called them flying saucers because they were like disks floating over water, you know. So that all began right around here. And this last 75 years has been the modern era of flying saucers and ufology, the so-called modern era.
0: So during World War II, there were American pilots, and they were referring to these orbs as Foo Fighters, right? And that was what they were seeing as they were flying over Germany. And that's some of the earlier modern day, as we're talking. You know, there's there's been talks in the 1800s of people seeing things in the sky. I, I guess throughout all of history, they've seen things in the sky. But this is more of of the modern. Do you think the Germans were able to develop any of that technology? And they were working on the Bell, which was a UFO-type shape right, right. ship or anything. Do you think any of those initial sightings were related to... no? You
1: know, I, I, I don't get much out of the stories of the so-called Foo Fighters. I never... I don't recall stories or cases of... American pilots seeing flying discs or, you know, the kinds of different shapes, triangle shapes. I don't hear much of that coming from World War II that time. Now, I think if the Germans had discovered and perfected something like that, I think they would have done more with it than just simply spooking pilots, letting them see them out the windows. You know, they'd, probably have a much more uh, sinister purpose. But the flying bell, now that's that's an interesting thing. The Germans were rumored to have had an acorn shape or bell, die glocke, which is the German word for bell. And there's rumors and there's stories that the famous Keckberg, Pennsylvania UFO case, you being in Philly, certainly have heard of the Kecksberg UFO case, right? Oh, yeah. And oh, yes. And somehow, some way, the U.S. military recovered an acorn-shaped craft, rumored to have had some sort of hieroglyphic kind of spelling. I don't know that it was likened, certainly not likened to German language script or Russian or Chinese or anything like that. But we don't hear any details of it. We just know that it was whisked away. So many witnesses to this. And somewhere that bell-shaped, acorn-shaped UFO is sitting somewhere in a UFO warehouse for the military and government that's been studying it. Now, was it German? I don't think so. But supposing they had discovered time travel. Well, if they had... I think the ending of World War II would have been much more sinister and negative an outcome than it, than it was. So I don't tend to think it was German, but you know, there are people that probably think that.
0: It seems like even the US and then the Russians and the Germans were all on cutting edge technology at that time and all right up to the cusp of just figuring everything out. Everyone was rushing to make the atomic bomb. The German scientists were ahead in rocketry and some of their missiles during Project Paperclip, we brought them back over here. The Russians got some too. Right. And it does seem that we broke through first and hence why we were able to to win the war. And if the Germans had something like time travel, I agree with you. I think that the the ending of that would not have gone as badly for the Germans as it did.
1: So yeah, let's I move agree. on. I tend to agree. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: No, no, that's fine. Yeah. I just didn't want to dwell on World War II too much. I just some around the Roswell time, we're all getting in that late 40s period. Going into the 50s. The government has renamed them UAPs. I think this has tried to cause some confusion and maybe also elevate the conversation a little bit. The government for so long poo-pooed UFOs, it's swamp gas, it's crazy people. That ship that you saw in the field across from you, you're you're just bipolar. We'll get you whisked away, whatever it might be. Lock you an institution. But now the tic-tac video came out from the Nimitz. There's reports off of North Carolina that the pilots are going up and on a daily occurrence, they're running into different UFOs. So it seems that the government renamed them UAPs. I want to use UFOs, unless you think that's a, a terrible term to keep using. <laughs> I, I think then they're trying to rebrand and take it over from people who've had the facts for years. Of the UFOs, what percentage do you think? Do you think that they're from another planet? Do you think that they're from Earth, from a different dimension?
1: Let me go back to the UFO-UAP thing. Yeah, UAP is Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Flying saucers seems to suggest aliens. And the powers that be, especially government, military, Pentagon, you know, a rose is a rose is a rose by any other name is a rose. Call it what you will. But if it makes it more palatable to you, to use the term UAP, and I can see why people involved with the subject want to kind of remove the stigma from it. But I know, and, and most people do not know this, I believe, I'm not absolutely certain of this, but I think a former NASA psychologist who lives on my neighbor island here, and I'm friends with him, And I was friends with him way back in the 80s. Dr. Richard F. Haynes, H-A-I-N-E-S, was a NASA psychologist scientist. And I believe the term UAP came from him. But he's not afraid to use the word flying saucers or UFOs. Among all of us who are somewhat more knowledgeable about this than most, we don't care. But I think what's interesting is That we've had, like World War II, we had the Foo Fighters, right? Kind of lights in the sky, undefined, all that. In early 2000s, we had these TikToks that were sort of TikTok-shaped, like the the candy, you know, kind of like... Yep, the uh, TikTok. Yeah, TikTok, not TikTok. Yeah, like a cigar. Uh,
0: Yeah, uh, a cylinder, like a pill. Right.
1: Now, we didn't see so many shaped like that in earlier times. We, you know, there's a run on different shapes sometimes. Sometimes there's a frenzy of triangular-shaped craft. There's a lot of stuff. Now, To let's consider, are they interdimensional? Are some of them space travel? Well, I want you and the audience to imagine for a minute that we're all standing around now wearing me- medieval robes like monks and... In the medieval days, we used to think of whatever we thought of astronomy, and it was really closely linked to astrology at the time in the early days. And we're wearing our robes and we're thinking about okay, what is this phenomenon? Is it phenomena? Is it phenomenon? Is it one thing? Is it many things? You know, we're sitting there with a mindset frame of mind of kind of like earth, air, fire, and water. You know, it's really hard to think in terms of understanding the universe in terms of medieval earth, air, fire, and water, but that's what we know. Okay, now let's advance ourselves 500 years to the present. How much do we really know about the universe? Well, we know a lot more, it's evident, but do we know how many different dimensions there are to reality? Do we have any idea? We think of time as the fourth dimension. And if you think, well, we toss around the term interdimensionality, well, what does that really mean? Are there really parallel existences within consciousness, as some people want to say? Or what? You know, can we conveniently say, oh, well, this is extraterrestrial? Oh no, that's interdimensional. Oh, these are ghosts and apparitions. That's a different thing. How many different paranormal uh, aspects are there. And I want to say, I just recently finished a book called Travel Tales, Ghost Encounters. And I I put an index in the back of the book with some 50 terms that kind of go along with ghosts and apparitions. And I'm suggesting there's a lot of different things going on. Now, how many different separate, existences and how do they overlap, just talking about ghosts and and presences, we probably will not have enough vocabulary and concepts for another 1,500, maybe a 1,000 years. Maybe. Can you imagine a million years the terms we'll be using to talk about these things? And they'll look back at us like, well, these are the people in monks' robes in the 2000s early 2000s, what did they know? They're all in their little fish bowls trying to peer out of the fish bowl of what is beyond the fish bowl. And to a goldfish, you know, it would be absolutely incomprehensible what's outside that goldfish bowl. And I think here we are, we're in our bowls. Maybe we have some conception of different levels. We don't have the vocabulary or the concepts probably to talk about it as meaningfully as, say, some way advanced, evolved group of beings, extraterrestrials, we can call them, who have much greater frame of reference than we have. How can we really pretend to explain this, all this stuff? That's my turn. Well,
0: I think that's a good answer. And within all of that, though, you also did mention extraterrestrials. So you don't think this is all government you think there is something outside of private or government this is outside of human I current human technology
1: i personally do i also think that our government probably has reverse engineered technology we may have really advanced craft maybe emulate some ufos to some extent and there was the rumor to be extraterrestrial, I mean, meaning outside the Earth, space force. Remember that, that uh, English guy, Gary McKinnon? Do you remember his story? Gary McKinnon is an English guy who was reputed to have Asperger's syndrome. We don't really know what Asperger's syndrome is, but he's a bright guy. He figured out how to hack into military, apparently military, channels, and he apparently, seemingly, and again, nobody can prove any of this really, but he seems to have identified a an off-Earth space force made up of extraterrestrial, not extra space people, extraterrestrials, but extraterrestrial, off-the-Earth military presence that we may very well have that, but I don't know. So we may have some real advanced uh, technology. I sure hope so. But anyway, (laughs) the U.S. wanted to extradite him. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, I'm sure they did. So he hacked into government server, and he downloaded the roster, the role of some humans and possibly some entity of sort, secret space program. I
1: don't think it wasn't, uh, yeah, yeah, an entity. Of a secret space program, and and that's that's possible, uh, and that would explain a lot, but doesn't explain everything.
0: So that was to me. My question is: it's always it's common knowledge. Everybody knows. Everybody knows the government is fifty years ahead of us. People say that all the time. Oh, they have technology fifty years ahead. They're work, all the DARPA technology they're working on, is fifty years ahead. So I was going to bring up the the Phoenix Lights, and that happened, I think, in ninety six and there were the mayor of Phoenix, hundreds of people saw these lights. The government tried to say that they were flares from a night jump, parachute jump. There were people's foot, but it was supposed to be a giant black triangle. These have been seen all over the world. If this is government technology being 50 years ahead of us, this is the the B2, the SR-72, the things that they don't admit that they're real until the absolute and not even the last second, they wait till minutes after the last second and then go, oh yeah, by the way, that thing right behind me, that is
1: real. If this giant triangle is- oh, you know, in that case, that case was, I don't, me personally, I don't think that was US technology, but it could be. But Fife Symington was the governor of Arizona at that time. And he dragged on the TV one of his uh, office- People dressed up as an alien and just laughed it all off and joked and pulled the alien mask, head, headdress off, off the person there. And they laughed. And some 10 years later, he's on a whole bunch of UFO videos or whatnot saying, well, you know, that I wasn't honest with the public. I saw a structured craft. I didn't think it was anything that we had. And I only did all that just to calm things down. He said, I saw something, and I'm not sure, but I think he said, I don't think it's ours. But isn't it interesting how you can have these nastily viewed presence of UFOs from time to time? They're called flaps. And yeah, one wonders, it doesn't seem like there's some overall governing body that controls when some are seen and when aren't but it's almost I think to myself it's almost if they understand as if they understand how the masses and public responds to this and I mean with all these years of UFO sighting you know we still cannot definitively say oh they're extraterrestrial or they're not they don't seem to overwhelm mass society at some point or any point. Maybe they're not all coordinating with one another. Maybe they are different presences, but I find it fascinating that something that can come over Phoenix and cause such a furor and come over the Hudson Valley in New York and come over Washington, D.C. and come over Texas. There are many, many, many mass overflights of sightings, and often different from one another, I wonder how much of it's coordinated, how much of it is intentionally done or not intentionally done. I mean, let's face it, you could easily imagine visitors from another planet would just fly over our cities, sightsee, wouldn't care about what was happening in the minds of the creatures living below. They just don't seem to, to me, to be sensitive to it or to care. On the other hand, they may even orchestrate it and do it on purpose. It's a lot of questions. There are more questions than any answers that any of us have.
0: Yeah, the extraterrestrial aspect, not that I'm going to solve it here, but I mean, I truly have no clue about that. But the government one of them being 50 years ahead, and even if they reverse engineered anything, I just feel like we never see anything. I mean, you, they might have the Phoenix lights or whatever it might be. It could be the government. But you they you would figure they'd bring some of this technology out, possibly in war zones, to test it to see how fast can it get? How fast can you get from A to B? And you're not going to have, you know, what can it do against an enemy fighter craft? Or even the, the Tic Tac with the Nimitz. They said it kind of knew where it was going. Was that just U.S. technology going against U.S. technology, knowing it wouldn't fire on it? Do their rules of engagement or whatever they might know but so no, you do my point is that
1: we don't normally we don't normally engage them go ahead your point is no well no my point
0: was just through iraq and afghanistan uh yemen syria ukraine i figured there even an extraterrestrial aspect that that would be i don't want to sound crass by saying prime time viewing but if you were coming from another galaxy like that's where the action is and if you had technology, man-made technology that's more advanced than we use on the open market, that seems like a place to go test it. And we hardly ever see any of this stuff. So I just find that more confusing and you know, that's more of just a point. Probably the most important
1: about that whole aspect is they seem to be noticed more a more noticeable presence when we develop atomic weapons and hydrogen bombs. And one wonders if if they have such a presence on the Earth, you know, maybe bases under the sea, bases inside mountains, who knows what, if they're concerned that World War III with our nuclear weapons would put, uh, put them in danger somehow or, or really poison the planet not to make it very palatable for them, you know, in the 80s, it's rumored that UFOs visited many nuclear installations and even mucked around with missiles in the United States and the Soviet Union at the time. So it's, it's interesting. If we had a World War III, would there be any kind of intervention? They certainly demonstrated that they knew how our stuff worked and they knew how to start it and stop it. But would they come to anybody's aid if that happened Do does anybody care about us on our little speck of dust out in the middle of nowhere in this universe
0: right for the stories that have that have come out that have leaked i think in wisconsin there you know the minutemen silos up there were uh, being disarmed by a ufo flying over it and that would lead somebody to think that they have an earth habitat of some sort of either living in the ocean Cause if you just came here from wherever it might be, you know, Zeta Articular or, you know, wherever deep in space and you can bend space-time and get there in a heartbeat, and you were coming here as a tourist to look at the zoo, would you really care if the zoo blew itself up and you would just go find another one? So it seems it may be that they have either resources to use here or living here themselves. And you know, as we talked about, how many dimensions do we have and what is interdimensional and what happens here in our earth reality? amongst humans does that affect other dimensions and other entities
1: how important are we really how important are we is is a really good question and do you remember ben rich the name ben rich uh he I don't know. he used to run the skunk works
0: oh okay right
1: the the famous company that is reputed to work on really advanced stuff military stuff and he was saying maybe on his deathbed or maybe saying for who knows what reason but he's saying we have the technology to take et home that was one of his famous quoted things and one wonders with this whole history going way back and supposedly a group called MJ-12 that began to control this knowledge of this phenomena and retrieval of things to the present. It seems like a hodgepodge and a soup bowl full of, like an alphabet soup of agencies that have some kind of control on various aspects of all this. And yet one wonders, is there any one overseeing this whole thing from the beginning to the present and did Ben Rich speak out of line to refer to the possibility of us having so much advanced technology to the present can we keep the secrets Do, does the United States have stuff like this you know all very very good questions
0: Oh, they definitely are. And it also seems that the government has partnered with private so that they can't get FOIA'd for any information they might have or have it leaked out, even as they're in their yeah. individual silos, but then giving them to defense contractors to work on. And then that becomes like trade secrets for for that private company. And I was listening to an interview with Whitney Strieber today, uh, who wrote Communion, mm-hmm. and he was bringing up a little bit of how the government was so siloed. But then just through time of either people getting promoted or passing away or retiring, you lose some of that institutional knowledge. And with it being so in such a small vacuum of a place, sometimes people might not know what was even being worked on or, or what was handed off to you know, these government contractors. And now you know, they made the joke of in Indiana Jones at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Ark of the Covenant was in a giant warehouse that was just lost amongst all the boxes. You know, you've you have no idea what's out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's funny. which brings up which brings up these two great series on the History Channel: the Curse of Oak Island, and the good one. and the Secrets of the Skinwalker. Skinwalker Ranch, is a I, hot topic. It sure is, isn't it? And it seems to be, interestingly to me, right on the forefront of possible interaction head-to-head head between some knowledgeable source of beings of some kind doing stuff probably with the awareness of the U.S. military. And and these scientists are dedicated to trying to figure out what it is, but so far kind of stopping short of understanding it and and also maybe being interfered with. Uh, That was from the get-go, was interference with the scientific teams that were looking at the Skinwalker Ranch. There's a good book published called Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, and it kind of puts the whole perspective of the teams of scientists and the military and government interest in the Skinwalker Ranch. I just finished reading that not too long ago. I recommend that for people that want to see what three-letter and more-letter agencies were up to. Vis a vis the Skinwalker Ranch. Go ahead.
0: I'll definitely have to look into that one. Bigelow, Bigelow Airspace, he bought Skinwalker Ranch and then sold it. Why do you think he would do that? I I mean, there seems to be as close to proven anomalies. So there's proof, that's fair. There's proven anomalies at Skinwalker Ranch, all the way up to extreme paranormal and beyond. And he seems like a big player in the know, contacts with the government. And then to sell that property, that that—that confused me. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yes, I do. I met him actually once. I actually went to his house with a friend of mine, another good friend of mine, uh, re- UFO researcher, George Wingfield. And I think, you know, it's really hard to jump inside the head of somebody like that. But I think his interest in all this in the very beginning somehow was somewhat partially related to a greater interest he had maybe in the, in the paranormal insofar as what happens to us after we die. because I know he lost, I figured he lost his wife and he was really interested in trying to understand more about if is there a future life or beyond the life as we know it. But yet yeah, he got real interested in all the space stuff. He had teams of scientists in there. Scary things were happening. Science was being mucked around with, for example. The only thing that really came out of it when he had his research teams in there were mainly anecdotal reports by scientist types because the recording instrumentation got mucked around with, cameras were mucked around with, all kinds of bizarre and strange and scary and frightening and potentially dangerous things were going on, maybe he felt, I can't speak for him, but he might have felt that he just want to wash his hands of it because maybe he felt they weren't getting anywhere. Maybe somebody else could take it over and carry it on further. And, And the new owner is dedicated to understanding more what went on. And there are scary, dangerous things happening. And I worry that, uh, I hope nobody gets seriously hurt by this, but the potential is there. Again, they have scientific teams working, and I think it comes somewhat down to that notion I have of earth, air, fire, and water. As advanced as these scientists are knowledgeable, and there's really interesting, good application of new technology and all kinds of exciting things that they're doing, I just wonder if it's centuries away from being able to understand what's going on. I I don't know. They want to do it. I'm watching it every Tuesday night (laughs) to see what's new. I mean, it's exciting. The only
0: problem, definitely. But that's the only problem with our current science is we only know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. And some of the things coming out of there, there's stories of a plasma ball or a ball of light. That was just traveling down from the ground, and then it touched down to the ground, and then a possum came out of that ball of light
1: and ran off. And that is yeah, it's was... crazy. <laughs> and portals, yeah, you know, okay. an individual stepping out of a portal in the sky onto the ground. Yeah, uh, reports like that. People you know feel what are you doing home that? with uh, something
0: on them that they're that are almost being shadowed by some type of entity when they get home and, and more hijinks are happening at their house? The and so-called like that.
1: piggybacking of entities. Right. Yes, that's, that's very scary. And some of those people were really frightened from this stuff. And again, what do you do with it? How close are we going to get to some kind of understanding of this? It's anybody's guess, but I guess we're like the moths And the lights attracted to the lights, you know, we can't help ourselves, but maybe that's how we progress little by little. But I hope I hope we have more going for ourselves than goldfish trying to look out of the goldfish bowl and understand what's going on in the world around them. I don't know.
0: It's definitely gonna be interesting. What is your take on currently now with the UAPs that the government seems to be relying on Tom DeLong of Blink 182? who created To The Stars Academy. And then just recently, it came out that Logan Paul, who's a YouTube star, a boxer, amateur boxer, YouTube star, but he secretly recorded Chuck Clark's UFO video. He went to his home with $100,000 to purchase his famous UFO video from the early 90s and secretly recorded it with a button camera pin, a button pin that had That's a camera. That's heard,
1: yeah. Did he play and it? Did he play He has it? not
0: played it. He he said he wanted Bob Lazar, maybe Alessandro. I think he named the third person. Uh, definitely Bob Lazar to view the tape and give his blessing that it was real. But Bob Lazar is not a cinematographer, videographer, CGI person to to view it and and give his credence to it but maybe possibly from things that he alleged that he reverse engineered or that he saw so i'm i'm not sure why do you think the government though when there are credible scientists there are military people there are captain of the air force seeing this there's people on the navy ships that can come out admirals on navy ships and could really give credence to to what is being said they they could release videos that they allegedly have of 4k videos of UFOs where there's rumor that you can see an entity inside of it at the window, but yet we well,
1: there's, have, there's rock all star of the of, I,
0: I just, I don't really understand who were they going after with that? You have a 50 year old rock star who I, I grew up liking Blink-182. I was 13, maybe 14 when they f- came out the first album, good stuff. And they sing about aliens. I feel like that their audience is open to that concept. I feel like all young people now, they've seen videos their entire life, real or fake or not, but at least, you know, even Independence Day, the movie Alien, Aliens, grow up watching them on TBS every Saturday, are much more open to that concept of other extraterrestrials, UFOs, and to have them as the selling point, I'm not sure who they're going after.
1: Keep in mind that in the early history of this, we had all kinds of individuals talking about experiences that they had and all that. And some were more popular than others and believed, and others wrote them off. But I still think you're going to have all that. At the same time, all these people, whether they're really famous or not, among them, they have experiences too. And whether they're famous or not, or have been involved, In really interesting UFO stories, or not, such as Lazar and Chuck Clark. I've known people that wouldn't trust him. I don't know him personally, but I remember hearing about him around Rachel Nevada. Luis Elizondo, there's people that have all kinds of thoughts about him. Is he entirely on a level? Is he not? So you got all these people. Swimming in all these things, and as time goes on, we have even more capability of video, and now we have artificial intelligence coming in. We could design and create videos that look so real, taking aspects from here, robbing Peter to pay Paul. All of this, it's the truth is out there, the truth is probably there somewhere in parts but how you want to reassemble all these from all the different personalities is anybody's guess. I tend to, like you, feel like there definitely is something to this, but it's getting increasingly more difficult over time to isolate what's true and what isn't true. Now, I want to talk about films of aliens for a minute. And I've heard exactly what you're saying that legally or illegally or ethically or not ethically, if there is film that Chuck Clark has or this person you said filmed it, and I heard about that, and that's really interesting. Again, I want to ask, oh, and I want to throw one more into the mix. James Fox, who did an excellent documentary on the Virginia, Brazil, quote, Brazil's Roswell, end quote. I feel personally that he was privy to seeing real footage of those aliens in that case and wreckage possibly because it was Brazilian military. There was a lot of people filming. Ultimately, all that stuff was picked up by the U.S. Air Force allegedly taken back to the United States. I think Jane Fox probably has seen something. But who has the courage or fortitude or whatever you want to call it to release to the Earth? You want to be the one that releases footage that is deemed to be unquestionable truth about aliens on planet Earth? God, I wouldn't want that responsibility. Would you want to be the one to go into history books for having released that? But right, but where is the New it? New York
0: Times, but didn't the New York Times already do that in December of what was it, twenty nineteen? Two
1: thousand seventeen, uh, when they were talking about all the stuff that happened two thousand four. Uh, right, no, they didn't it release. They're, they're the
0: paper of record, though. They came out. Yeah, everybody who, all adults, uh, everybody my age and older, the New York Times is the paper. They have the breaking news. They are the source.
1: They are. It the It will go down in history. It will go down in history, as as the start of the disclosure. But effort. nobody cared. But
0: I I cared. I was like, this is amazing. People are going to well, care. We're going to get videos. I We're won't gonna, say
1: nobody cared. I wouldn't say nobody's nobody cared, extreme. But right. But but no film. None of that film came out at the time. Right. That I, was yeah. a newspaper article by a credible newspaper, and it shocked the shit out of a lot of people, and it really precipitated the start of the movement towards controlled disclosure as it's happening now but we don't have the films yet we don't have somebody coming to the world saying look be it as it may say what you want but these are the virginia aliens these are whoever these were that hasn't quite happened yet and it's going to be interesting to see i think it takes a lot of courage A lot of guts to be the one to to bring that out to the public. My God, your life will change forever if you're that person. That's a big responsibility.
0: I just think that the longer that this person or any government, and one, other governments are more open to there being UFOs and aliens, where the U.S. is slowly now turning that way and being more understanding or at least questioning or having hearings on UAPs. The longer they wait, the software editing technology is just getting leaps and bounds better every day, every month, every year. So you could release and say, hey, this was filmed, this landed, on the. this flew over the White House.
1: I it may be AI landing. that releases it. It course, may it be doesn't. AI that, that says and thinks, let's do this. This is good for us, for AI. Let's release this. Who knows?
0: Uh, you you don't know, but but until they come out, it, it's going to require more and more proof. They're making it harder on themselves the longer they wait to release it, because nothing is indisputable anymore. Anybody, a, a kid can make I know. these videos that are amazing. You're like, oh, is that like?
1: Yeah, if yeah. If you don't have I a think, background, you don't know. I think we'll know the real deal when we see it. I mean, everybody had a little inkling of that Virginia Brazil thing, and I think if they showed us what looked like film of those aliens on the ground in, in Brazil, I, I think we'll get an intuitive sense. This doesn't look made up. This looks like the real deal. I mean, you know, you're right. How are we ever really going to totally know? But I keep thinking about Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> and, I and it they may think be, we can. It, yeah. Do you know what it could do to our, all our institutions? I mean... It could. What was the name of that group that researched that and came out with that conclusion? Uh, Brookings Institution. Right. You know, maybe it's time for a new, really good, thorough, institutionalized study. All right, well, are we ready for it now? Can we, can we handle it now? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I hope it comes
0: out. This is something that I've loved for a long time, even since I was a little kid and just reading any of the stories and then as i've gotten older deep dives into different threads here and there coming up in the next few days i'm supposed to interview somebody about another incident in brazil that happened in i believe it was march of 2020 and it was in mage brazil m-a-g-e and there are multiple camera angles of people on their cell phones and they're filming this object in the sky and in real time on twitter I remember seeing people that I follow retweeting this stuff. So it was really exciting as it was happening and seeing this stuff happening. And apparently, the UFO ship was struck by lightning or a laser of some sort and crashed into the jungle. And there's people in the surrounding towns that were streaming on their phones and showing their military coming up. You could hear a firefight in in the jungle. And then there was even... Uh, they were tracking military U.S. military planes coming down to Brazil, and then switching off their transponders as they started hitting the the border at, at Mexico to keep going down. Wow, that's fascinating. So, yeah, very fascinating. A lot of the stuff you can still find some threads of it on Twitter, uh, but this gentleman I have coming on uh, apparently is a pretty good expert at it, and that they've been scrubbing, not him. That uh, you know the powers that be have been scrubbing the dark web, have been scr- scrubbing the regular internet. To try to get rid of this, but when after uh, I interview with him, I'll shoot you over some information and and recap it for you in better than I'm doing right be, now. <laughs> that'd be terrific. Yeah. No, I, But I it's definitely a fun story. story. Yeah. And it was great that you know in real time you're able to see some of these things, and that that's the beauty of social media now. Is it's hard. Yeah. You know, as something exciting is happening in real time, and you're getting it without the spin, it's great to see. And then a day it's or two so later, hard so hard to separate
1: it's still hard to separate the wheat from the chaff, you know. It's even more difficult, like you're saying, it right? Is. But it's fascinating. I mean, it's to me. Uh, I'm just absolutely, mm-hmm. totally interested in this stuff. I mean, that's besides writing books on travel. I'm interested in the paranormal and ufology. So, so this going to be a bridge, time. still a little more on the UFO
0: side, but a bridge to the paranormal. Then we'll switch over to that side and get some fun stories for that. So. Have you seen any of the things in Antarctica? The famous people who have been down to Antarctica to visit since, th- like the 2010s on, Bono, John Kerry, the Pope, have all traveled to Antarctica. And what are they and saying? They're saying they're just going to look at a research station. That they're just going down there. Rumors are that it, a flash it interesting? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, rumors are it's a flash-frozen society, possibly
1: alien. I've heard those stories. It's fascinating. One wonders why there's so many research stations and why, you know, what are they learning? And Linda Howe talks about uh, possibly an alien base or civilization down there. That's possible. I mean, I don't know personally much about it. I just hear these stories, but nobody that I know of has come up with anything truly definitive about it, as far as I'm concerned. I may not be in the know, but but it's interesting.
0: The fun thing that did come out about it, though, was there was this Fitbit leak, the Fitbit watch that people
1: wear. Oh, yeah.
0: And then there was a leak of data that came out. and. You could see the government employees in Antarctica walking in this underground base that they have there. You could see the outline of them you know doing their laps around. So you know that was interesting. They had to come out then like, well, you know we do have a small little something there. it's not just all research stations.
1: I would say stay tuned. and let's put that in uh, Stan Friedman's Gray Basket, which is <laughs> where th- things temporarily reside until they either go into the circular file or the uh scientific basket I don't know where that where this goes but it's fascinating
0: it is fascinating especially the Pope you know if Bono wants to go down there maybe that's that's fun I think Jimmy Buffett was going to do a concert last year two years ago uh, in <laughs> Antarctica uh, I think yeah, I'm getting canceled it was like twelve thousand dollars a ticket not that much Whoa. of a powerhead for 12 grand <laughs> you know but oh uh, you know, that, you know, that's fun for him to do to check off oh I've played every continent I've done all of this stuff but then you start getting the Pope, who's in his 80s, and you know he's the head of the Catholic Church, and to go down there that seems pretty extreme. It had to be something worthwhile than just go stand on frozen ground.
1: I've got a question for you. Sure. My having grown up in Philly, Philly being my hometown, I'm curious what's going on, ufology wise, in Philadelphia. Of any note, anything? What's? I know you're having a the UFO meeting at some point or paranormal meeting coming up. I, I think any in cases Gary Hill
0: coming up. I don't think there's been too many cases. Um, nothing worth noting. Okay. Um, nothing is popping in my head. Nothing that is that All has right. shown up.
1: Okay. I had to ask because you'd be the go-to person to ask about that. I
0: I definitely <laughs> would. I'm trying to think now. It's either maybe the summer of 2016, 2017. I came home, I was with my family, my wife and two kids, and we pull up to our house and it's probably 5 p.m. on a summer day and look at the sky and there's this bright, it's more than a star and it's way too bright out to see a star and it's super bright, but it's also a little high up. So you couldn't see a a dimension of it and it stayed there probably for about two hours and I'm living at that time probably 10 miles from my brother as the crow flies so I call him and my other brother, and sister, and my parents are at my brother's house. He's having a barbecue. Uh, I think we had something else. Maybe my son had sports or something. We were coming home from that. So I, I tell them, like, hey, look at the sky this way. Do you see anything? And they see the same thing and stays there. Then that one multiplies to three. And I'm I'm forgetting the UFO tracking agency, but then they listed that in in their, we didn't call it in. Somebody else called it in. They saw it go all the way mm-hmm. out to to uh, McGuire out here. And they they cataloged it in a, a UFO form of some sort. So nothing earth shattering, nothing, you know, life transforming. I didn't get a download. I didn't get this inner peace. I didn't connect with my ET brother, but very interesting to see that bright of a star of a unknown object of some sort in the sky at that time in the summer. Yeah. But that's nothing to write home about
1: uh, for you. So I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, but it's, but, but it adds up. It adds up. All over, all over their stories. So the presence is much broader than than we think, because some of it is so subtle and underreported. And uh, but but it's everywhere. I mean, it's uh, virtually everywhere. They don't always necessarily get the big flaps or the sudden sighting of thousands of people. See, I have interviewed with someone in particular from Philly who's one of 40 people that I've interviewed and included in in one of my books called The Road to Strange, The Contiguous Universe, which is a collection of these people, including myself, who have had either kind of a lifetime of many UFO and or paranormal experiences. In my case, no UFO experience that I personally can think of, but a fair number of paranormal things that personally convinced me that I was tapping into this. And this woman living in Philly had quite a few UFO experiences while she was living mainly in Center City and then ultimately moved out to Balakinwood in that area, which is a suburb of West Philadelphia. And uh, so she had a lot of UFO-type stories, but obviously a lot of people don't. So some are more privy to more experiences maybe because they're attractive to whatever's governing the UFO phenomena as a human to interact with or study or whatever.
0: Anyway. It's also harder to look up from your cell phone as you're scrolling through all the apps to actually look in the sky <laughs> and see what's happening. Right.
1: The TikToks of aliens, I love those. Yeah. Uh, I guess I spend it if you spend enough time looking and a genre of TikToks, you get more of them. So I was seeing all kinds of aliens for a <laughs> while, you know, uh, great funny. photography or however it's done.
0: Right. I, yeah. I, that's beyond me. I don't know. <laughs> that's funny, though. So let us uh, if you have some time and do you mind touching on some paranormal?
1: Sure. Sure. Where should we begin with that? Well, let's
0: start on some of your most interesting, your favorite experiences, the one that meant the most to you.
1: Well, I had a uh, lot of synchronicities. Now, synchronicities seem to be unbelievable occurrences that you just can't fathom. You can't think of as accidental. That has to have meaning to it. Okay, so I met the same woman walking along three different beaches in the world, accidentally running into her on three different beaches. Well, I thought, well, you know, that's not very likely by chance, but it's not something that is so all convincing to me. But yet I had a lot of those double synchronicities. That is, you know, seeing somebody in two completely odd places at different times and you think, oh, well, it's probably coincidental, but it's interesting. But I've had a couple of what I call triple synchronicities or sort of interrelated interactive Things that make it even more impossible to think that it was accidental or by chance, but when you have, like I did, a quintuple five part interrelated synchronicity, uh, I'm totally dumbfounded. Would you like to hear that one?
0: I would love to hear that. Can we touch on the woman on the beach real quick? So was that that's three yeah separate beaches? Or was that on different continents or different? All yeah, the one States?
1: was one was one was Hawaii. On a beach in Honolulu, or maybe it was a neighbor—I island, don't I remember ex- exactly which one. One was on Lido Beach, off of Venice in Italy, and at the for the moment I forget where the third one was, but it was equally unlikely. And we just laughed the third time that happened. We just laughed, and shrugged it off. I said, "Well, I hope I run into you again on a beach somewhere." I mean, it's you know, it, it's a stretch to happen accidentally. But I want to tell you an experience that you tell me if there's any way in the universe you can accept this as happened all by chance. Here's the story. I'm living on on a llama ranch that I owned for a while in southern Oregon, Ashland, Oregon. I had done a series of travel guides to sightseeing by public transportation. I was going to fly from Oregon, Medford, Oregon, the city in Southern Oregon, to Philadelphia to see my sister who lived there, and then take the train to New York for a book fair that had a book table and fly from New York after that weekend back to Medford, Oregon, do a round trip. So at the end of May, last couple days of the month, I fly from Medford, Oregon to Philly, and I pick up the Hemisphere magazine, put it in my attache case, thinking I'm going to tell them about my travel guide series, besides think by public transportation, and see maybe they would do a, a write up, a review of them. You know, seems like an airline could, might do something. So I go visit my sister. I have that magazine, didn't look at it in my attache case. I now take the train to New York from Philly. And on the train, You're whizzing past train stations in New Jersey, and all of a sudden I see a sign that says Rahway, New Jersey. And what do you sometimes do if you know somebody in your lifetime that was from a town like that? I said to myself, I know somebody from Rahway, New Jersey. It was a a graduate student or senior student. I went to Carnegie Tech was called then Carnegie Mellon now for one year doing engineering. And this was a senior in the fraternity that I was pledging. And I remembered him and I remember he told me he was from Rahway, New Jersey, a totally useless piece of information. I go to the book fair. It's now June 1st or 2nd. I'm now flying back to Oregon, the circle. And I pick up the June issue of hemisphere magazine I don't look at it. I put it in my attaché case. All right. I come walk through the door in Ashland, Oregon, and I see mail piled up. And I take a big white envelope that says Hemisphere Magazine on it. Oh, my God. There's a magazine in here. I open it up, and it's that June issue that I had in my attaché case I didn't look at with a little business card stapled, something like C page 24 so I open it up and there's a review of my travel guides right in the magazine. Whoa, oh, whoa, wow. And I set that aside. Next, I decide I'll go up to my office in the loft and see did I get any orders for travel guides while I was traveling? And I've gotten in the past maybe two or three orders every once in a while, maybe somebody from Spain, somebody from Ohio, you know, wherever. And here is an order, a single order. From Ashland, Oregon, up the street, my town. What's the chances of getting an order from somebody living in your town? So I process the order. I say to these people, Well, you have two choices, and I'm being facetious and I'm laughing. Would you like to come to the llama ranch and see the llama ranch and get them here, pick them up? Or shall I home deliver them to you, personally deliver them to you? It could have been anywhere in the world I got an order, but it's it's Ashland, Oregon. They said, we'll come up to the llama ranch. And then I'm suddenly I'm looking at it. This was the wife of a couple. And the last name, I'm thinking, oh, my, this is familiar. It's the same last name as the guy from Rahway, New Jersey, that I knew at Carnegie Mellon. So I emailed them back, and I said, this is the wife, I guess, who was doing the email thing. I said, do you have a Jan, J-A-N, Jan Chakin? Are one of you Jan Chaken? And then I get a phone call. Now, how many people's voices do you remember what they sound like from 40 years earlier? Not a lot. <laughs> I get this voice, and I recognize the voice. And he says to me over the phone, I would be that Jan Chakin from Rahway, New Jersey. And they were ordered my travel guides. I said, "Did you remember me from that fraternity?" He says, "No, I don't remember you because he was a senior, I was a freshman." And so he came over, and I remember he was a heavier, stockier. He used to be a lanky, tall, skinny guy, you know. And I said, "How did you get interested in my travel guides?" He said, "Oh, we're working for the City of New York, evaluating crime statistics for the New York subway stations." And we saw your guides based on use of subways and travel and all that. So we wanted to order a couple. So they saw it in the magazine. They were from the town I lived in. They were the same. He was the same guy as who I knew from Rahway, New Jersey. And my travel guides did make it into that magazine right then and there. And they bought it from looking at that magazine. Now, how does that happen by chance? That whole thing.
0: I don't think that happens by chance. I think you're tuned to the universe and it's letting you in on a joke. I think it's letting you know that you're here to enjoy life. And th- that story has. It's nice. It's impossible. It's nice. it's nice. Yeah. It is impossible for all of that stuff to happen. It, and you know, you're, you doing me, right. Right. you're doing something
1: right. Right. doing I think right. that's
0: what it is. If, if this story took place over five years, I'd be like, okay, Michael, yeah. I, I hear you. Yeah. This is yeah. one trip, and uh, just picking up all But this I swear you to you,
1: th- yeah. this happened, every single little bit of this happened. But it's, but it's not only that quintuple syn- synchronicity, I've had lots of them. So that's the universe giving me a message. I'm tuning in somehow to that. I don't know how it plays with the theory of time or time travel, or any of this. I don't know, but I feel confident I've had that. But if I didn't have other things, so therefore, including my own story in my book, I have a mantra, a mantra, two mantras. One is that when I ask people about their experiences, they have them, they say, they start out and they say, I I, I know what I saw. I know what I saw. I know what I saw, goddammit. I know what I saw. That's one mantra. That's all these people with these stories. And some may have happened, some may not have happened. But if, And here's the other mantra. If but one of these is true, what then? And I certainly would stake my life on this, that this multiple quintuple synchronicity is so unlikely to happen as possible. And I've had, at least one definitive telepathy experience I can remember. And I've had sad stuff in that I knew, in a number of cases, I knew when my parents were passing on over time and distance. And I knew when my best childhood friend died, more or less. And it was a different knowing than just thinking about something. You have something profoundly affecting you. That is characteristically, it's characteristically, it's really different from your normal experiences. And any paranormal experience I had, I had this overlay of this is a little different from anything else. So what can you learn about 40 different people with multiple kinds of experiences? I'm not exactly sure what the bottom line is from all that, but it certainly satisfies those two mantras. So some of it has to absolutely be true, even though we don't really totally understand it. And it's just interesting to see how people handle their revelations of these things that are happening to them. What you ultimately learn from it is hard to say, but but I did spend time and effort. Most of the time, I'm just gathering interviews. And then in the writing phase, of which, uh, gosh, I've done about 50, I have maybe three dozen books, mostly on safety and security and travel, but a number on paranormal and UFO stuff. I'm just drawn to writing about it, even though I know that I'm probably not going to really understand it completely, but I certainly appreciate it, and I feel like I'm personally convinced that there's more beyond, and that's me with one foot in the reality, scientific rigorous box and one foot and i'm open to these experiences and i'm listening and i'm not judging and i'm not making conclusions but i'm just gathering data and some of this is absolutely unquestionably real
0: i definitely think it it is real i interviewed paul roland he's an author over in england he wrote a book on ghosts and he said the same thing you did like, all i need is one of these stories to be true and that's all it takes. You can hear fifty of them, and if you don't believe any of them, but one of them is true, that's all it takes for, for it to be something, or to that's be a right. phenomenon of some sort.
1: But imagine how been covered up by the military, millions of people having experiences, and then somebody comes along and says nonsense. None of that's all, book lights and illusions and and asteroids, wow. It's hard to imagine. That a public could be so absolutely swayed by a government that is inclined and tasked with making you dismiss it for whatever the reasons.
0: Well, as they have the public dismissing it, they're researching it, and to some sources are are coming up with pretty good conclusions. Or, you know, remote viewing they had uh, when they were doing that in the '70s and '80s, there were reports that their accuracy was in the high 40%. And for somebody to sit in a room and close their eyes and say what's happening, sitting in a room in Washington, D.C., and say what's happening in Russia and a conversation that's happening and people that walked in there, and they're able to verify with sources in there saying this person did walk in at that time, you can't just really guess that. It, you know, it's not, I think, in the Kremlin within the next week, Putin's going to meet with his defense minister. Like, oh, look at me. I just removed you. I'm so great. But it's like no, at May thirtieth at one p.m. This person's meeting with this person in this room with a table that looks like this, and they were hitting at a pretty good clip. They also had ESP tests that were coming out that were apparently pretty good. There's a George Clooney movie that is you know funny and ridiculous, the Men Who Stare at Goats, but that's oh, based yeah, on yeah. right, but yeah. that's based on on the true story of of the people who were using remote viewing and the and ESP, the, the group that was out there. And a lot of stuff is coming out through FOIA that the government is way deeper and accepting of some of the things that they've mocked in the past or have completely just written off.
1: So uh, we're living in interesting times. Hopefully, we'll know more in this life, you and I, what uh, you know, what people are finding out.
0: I definitely hope so. I think it can't be hidden for much longer. I think the internet has brought everybody closer across the world that information can travel a lot faster. They're passing new laws at Congress for whistleblowers, they can come out.
1: The history of the earth, the history of the earth is and has been and probably will always be that you cannot hold keep the truth hidden and down forever. You know, sooner or later it's it's going to be known. I doubt whether some secrets like this as as monumental as they are are going to be simply hidden from society forever i can't imagine
0: even you know we were talking about skinwalker ranch that you know every tuesday on the history channel you can see what government contractors are are getting out of that What government scientists what people who are in touch with the government the government's getting reports on are seeing are finding very interesting very fascinating
1: It's interesting that Travis Taylor had to promise to keep something secret when he was working for the Pentagon a little bit. And he makes no secret to the other people on the team that he had that responsibility and there were things that he could not talk about. But he's one of my heroes. I like his attitude towards dealing with the phenomena He doesn't pretend to understand it if he does not. He's got no ego involved in that, no dogs in the ego race. And that's why I also like Michio Kaku and, to some extent, Neil deGrasse Tyson, not quite as much as the others. But uh, I think he's pretty good. There's a certain kind of open-mindedness and willingness to Try to step out of the box, look beyond the box that you don't often see in a lot of people. So those are th- three of my current heroes.
0: I like Neil deGrasse Tyson, but then sometimes when he brings things up, I feel that he's open-minded to some things and other things he's very close-minded. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like hard to get some of the things that he he says or he's like, oh, no, that's possible or we could do this. And he's a very knowledgeable man. And then things are just a shade different. He's going, like, oh, no, 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 that's impossible. That's impossible. Like,
1: oh, he no. seems to be opening up more than he did. He seems to be moving in that direction. He likes to talk about a lot of unusual subjects. He's he's almost the next Mister Science. You know uh, what was that character called, Doctor Science? I I can't remember. So he's he's not exactly where Michio Kaku and and Travis Taylor. Are but but I, I like a lot of things as he says, but I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah,
0: there's a property adjacent to the Skinwalker Ranch, and one of the podcasts I listened to, they were interviewing the owner of that. This guy went and he bought that place to try to get any leftover energy that might be crossing over. So this person has a giant trailer that's you know like forty feet wide by twelve feet. Wow, uh-huh. and this thing. Gets moved in the middle of the night. It gets moved 40 feet. It gets spun around. There's no tire tracks. There's no. I did not hear it, this. Yeah, this is. uh I'll, I'll try to find an episode. I'll shoot it over to you. Very interesting stuff. Uh, I'd love this, to see
1: that. Yeah. This
0: trailer has been struck by lightning and burnt to a crisp numerous times. And they replace it, they'll move it over to a different spot. They said that when it does move, uh, you can see the scuff marks on the rocks. On the ground so it's only going up you know six to eight inches as it's moving and being rotated but zero tire tracks anything like that and a pretty remote place that if heavy machinery was coming in a crane was coming in you would definitely be able to hear it see it things like that and that there was a groundskeeper who was in charge that of is property. interesting
1: yeah first time yeah. heard of it
0: yeah he quit being the groundskeeper because too many strange things were happening for his liking so they
1: think it's re- related yeah oh really yeah,
0: some of that energy is bleeding over yeah yeah it seems like the veil's oh, thin there between the you know whatever area that,
1: down there yeah
0: whatever might be over there do
1: you look into I anything just else worry inside? about that helicopter uh
0: say that again sorry are you interested in anything else that's uh you know wild or weird do you do you ever look into possible Egyptian relics in the Grand Canyon have you ever heard stories on that
1: I've heard some things, so uh, now that's a little bit further than I go. But, you know, up here in the Pacific Northwest, you do hear the Bigfoot things. I've talked to people who claim, who swear they've had Bigfoot experiences. I uh, collected stories of, for example, people hearing a, a loud knock of like a fist on their, or on their trailer at night in the forest. I think I interviewed a family therapist, psychologist who lived up in this area, who who was absolutely credible to me, who showed me plaster casts of feet because he had his own Bigfoot experience in Southern Oregon where he shooed his family away. His wife and kids said, get out of here. I'll meet up with you. I'll be back. Leave now. And they left. It was in a, a national forest. And he says he had a Bigfoot confrontation. You know, nothing happened. It left, but he says he saw this thing. He was like a, I'm going to say six foot seven basketball player, formerly of the University of Alaska basketball team. He was tall. This thing towered over him. And he got absolutely obsessed with this and went on to research it and Get these plaster casts, and you know me being um, a graduate of PhD, graduate of a psychology program. I understand when somebody has a family practice like he had, that you don't go espousing Bigfoot and telling everybody right left about your Bigfoot experience and expect to keep your family practice, you know, intact. But he followed his experiences and his beliefs. And I think he's still living up in the Seattle area. I haven't seen him for for some years. But I was saying to him, I said, well, have you ever heard any strange electronic noises in the forest? This is when I interviewed him. He said, oh, no, no, no. These are animals. These are wildlife. And he was friends with in the area a South African man who was a wildlife biologist specialist, you know, and then, they're saying no, these are animals, and no, I haven't. I don't remember any electronic stuff. But years later, they were talking about the strangeness of electronic beeping and things like that. And I think they went further afield in their beliefs, thinking that uh, there was a more of a paranormal aspect to it. So I've, I've run into people who were pretty credible, but I don't go too far afield myself. I mean, I have enough to keep me busy with all this stuff than to be venturing off into totally new unknown things, you know. But it's other hard to stay on top of everything. <laughs> it's of course. tough to stay on top of yeah. but.
0: but there are some people well, who do incredible it. stories of, of Bigfoot that are interesting. Oh, yeah. And then there's other ones that you know you're not too sure. The woods are a strange. If you place, know
1: though. if you know some anomalous stuff to you is so true and valid and real, you are a little more open to things that other people would dismiss out of hand. So I consider myself lucky, and I think you are too, as so many of us are these things. We're lucky to be privy to a wider look at things going on in the universe that other people will dare to consider or maybe are too frightened to consider. Uh, I consider that as a fortunate gift, and that we're lucky that we get an even bigger picture of things than a lot of people do you know you have to be brave you have to go with that and to your thine own self be true and not be afraid to to look at all these things you know
0: you know we only have one guaranteed life you know we can get into afterlife and reincarnation and all that but we have one guaranteed life we're living right now and the earth is just too amazing like there, are the scientific discoveries that come out daily and weekly and it, it's just fascinating, and why not at least open your mind a little bit? You don't have to go for a deep dive. You don't have to go off the deep end. You don't have to swim in all of the paranormal conspiracy waters, but dip your toe in. It is a much more yeah. fun life. It is interesting. It's just exciting. You know, you have A new video comes out or something. You don't have to sit there and study it frame by frame, but in one of your 30 minutes, you're looking at Facebook or TikTok or Twitter anyway just watch the video I'm like oh that that was interesting
1: but, but don't immediately don't immediately conclude that it's all exactly what it purports to be and and that we can really say we know what it is or we understand it i think we're pretty far away from understanding the complexity of this wonderful universe i mean i still say we're the goldfish in the fish bowls just trying to get a little glimpse and a little more understanding of what is out there beyond the fishbowl. I mean, a goldfish cannot possibly understand what lies beyond the glass that it's looking through, you know. And that's us too.
0: I like the analogy you used of the 1500s monks or just the people wearing, you know, that attire. And you only know what your language allows you to know, and it's. Our language is very limited to express or to fathom all of this greatness, you know, that that science is even coming up with. And also, you know, what is your perception as you bring up with the goldfish? It can't perceive outside of its fishbowl. It doesn't understand that there's more waters on the other side or, you know, even what people might be. And you have to understand that we're in some type of fishbowl as it might be, at least for our vision and our perception. And what's outside of that? and you know that's the fun part of you know it's the 11 dimensions or 11 or 13 was the, the I think last we're getting official. glimpses
1: we're getting glimpses and we're beginning to think you know maybe the uh, our ancestors weren't so stupid as some people think you know that, like they talk about entities and spirits well give somebody some DMT or ayahuasca experience and suddenly they're talking about spirits of the plants and trees oh my god where did i hear that before now we're coming around full circle to being open to the idea that maybe consciousness just goes beyond what we normally think uh, of just our organic matter maybe maybe there is such a thing as consciousness that the universe is made up of and it goes so far beyond what we can begin to fathom and understand maybe our ancestors understood a little more than we gave them credit to and laughed them off as being silly, you know? But you do hear that from people.
0: That is my biggest complaint, I think, of society or our modern times right now, is that, you know, we're the smartest we've ever been. We know the most that we know. And those people in the 1800s, those people in the BC, they are so dumb and it's just so lucky they even survived. And it's very sad. You know, they're definitely... Is traditions that were lost. There's knowledge that was lost, and it's been replaced more now with I know we would call it like a technology or a testing of a science that we follow more now than we do a, a natural science.
1: It's also humbling, really. It's mm-hmm. very humbling. You can can only be humble. That's that's about it.
0: So, Michael, but right as we're going to wrap up, can you said you've interviewed over fifty people for paranormal? Can you? give me one of the best stories, you know, and we, we talk about the, the person telling you it's, it's their truth. It's what they believe. It's hard to verify, but one is one of the ones that you've heard. That's the most interesting.
1: Well, I I think I've heard of one fairly recently. I interviewed a woman who lives not that far from me and she and her husband were, you know, like amateur ghost hunters seeking out, Experiences trying to go to places that were supposedly haunted. So I sat down and interviewed her pretty thoroughly. And she said they went to, along with her brother, who was also interested in this stuff, they went to a local hotel near here. The hotel was called the Hotel Manresa Castle. And if you just looked at this hotel, you'd think, as I have, oh, my God, this place looks haunted, you know? And they capitalize on that, like hotels never used to do. But now, if you have some stories, by all means, let the public know, and then the public comes to the hotel. You know, It's good for business, but they're also interested that the hotel would have that reputation. Well, I don't know if it was room 302 or 306 for the moment. I can't exactly recall, but they stayed, the, uh, the woman and her husband, overnight in the room that was alleged to be haunted. And the brother was in there for a while, but he had come there after work. He was exhausted. He, he fell asleep didn't see anything of this going on. But they were in there, in this room that was uh, had the reputation of being haunted. The hotel had a ledger on its front desk where people would write in their experiences that they had. So anyway, they went to this room that was notoriously had a reputation of being haunted and they uh, and she decided to take some selfies so she was going click 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 and she didn't really look at these closely until she got home but in one of the pictures it showed the window of the of the room three stories up and there was a hooded figure on the other side of the window looking in and you could really clearly make that out.
0: And you saw the picture?
1: I saw the picture. Yeah. And I agreed that it was a hooded figure. And it was not a reflection of somebody in the room. I mean, I can't swear to that, but right. I believe them. And uh, and I think in that book, there might have been a, another account of a hooded figure. But it's three floors off the ground. Just no way anybody was up there doing it. So that... That's one of the most more recent ones. Now, a case I did not get to study, but I heard something about because basically the wife of the couple was too scared to talk about it. She didn't want to talk about it. She didn't want me to write this up. But I remember they lived in a town that's not too far from me called Silverdale. It's a suburb on the peninsula, Olympic Peninsula. It's got all the Costco's and other Walmart, big box stores. And they had a house there and they sold it and they moved to Seattle and improved on a house that they built. And they suddenly decided they had to sell that house. They were too scared to live there anymore. They had doors clanging shut and the handles vibrating with nobody being there, toilets flushing by themselves. A toilet would flush, the toilet paper would ra- unravel by itself. And there was a story of a woman who had died there. I think I didn't hear this actually told to me, but I'm surmising that there was a rocking chair out on the deck of the porch of this place that would rock by itself. And I think they got scared out of that house and they sold it and they moved back to this area and they would not, at first they were going to let me interview them for the story. But I mean, it's, I know that they bought it and proved it, got scared, so it moved away. I know that much, and tidbits of stories. So it sounded like a a haunted house to me. But one of the most interesting stories I've ever heard was I did something like close to 500 interviews at these Body, Mind, Spirit Expos, BMSE Expos that friends of mine own, and they used to gift me with booths all the time. And I would sit in this booth, and the further away from the mainstream of all the other booths, the better. So it's good. And I would interview people. Like I say, I interviewed close to 500 people over all these shows. This one guy comes up, and he's got a shirt with Dracula on it, and he's got a tattoo on his arm of Dracula. And he begins to tell me the story about how all his life he's been a Dracula. And so for his his girlfriend's birthday one year, he said, come on, I'm treating you to a birthday in Romania. We're going to go to Transylvania. And they go to this hotel. I call it the Hotel Dracula. But it had, I think it was Hotel Castel, Castel, Transylvania, or something like that. And they overnight in this hotel... And he says the next morning, she's got a puncture mark on her wrist, on like both wrists. And he's got a little scratch that didn't really bleed, but a little scratch on either one or both of his wrists. He said he had a photo of it, but I never got to see the photo. And to me, it looked like urban legend in the making, you know, of a couple that goes and they have a a vampire, you know. Oh, vampire, a vampire, right. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it looked like, for all intents and purposes, if they weren't, if he was not making it up, and I don't think he was. I, I just, you know, I don't know absolutely for sure. I just think that all of his life he had a calling, to probably go there. I wondered if his ancestry was related to Romanian. He said he had a little bit of medieval Europe ancestry, East Bloc type ancestry, which could be Romania or not. So I couldn't really pinpoint something like that but but I thought my god this is like an urban legend in the making. This guy seemed to have a lifetime calling to go over there and have this experience nobody else did and he laughs it off like no I'm not sure that that's what it was but it was odd uh, and unusual and I sure wish I could have seen the photo but never did get to see the photo.
0: No the so photo I don't been know good. exactly Would you ever stay – have you ever stayed in – intentionally have you stayed in a haunted room, allegedly haunted room?
1: Well, i stayed in a haunted hotel. There's this company called McMenamins, which you've never heard of back east. But they've taken a lot of old schools and hospitals and sane asylums and theaters and redone them and put a pub in it and a good restaurant and a great place to stay, and I gave a lecture at Remade Theater that had tables where you could eat dinner and pizza and all this and listen to a talk or presentation. And they gifted me with a free night at one of the hotels, so I decided to stay in the Haunted Hotel. And I went to that hotel, and I looked at their book of all kinds of cases, people's reports, and there was one little report in there that was reputedly a little girl came up to this couple that was staying there and she had old-fashioned looking dress on. You know, maybe she was five years old, something like that as a story. If that really happened, of people seeing this little girl who plays around with them and says, Did you, have you seen the ghost yet? And she was the ghost and they didn't know it apparently. I mean, as the story goes. The other people who worked there told me about my experience too. And so I thought, well, I didn't have anything happening in that. And that hospital, it was once a hospital and then it had been an asylum for people with mental problems. And they're the ones, the same chain, McMinniman's, that took a famous old hotel in a town called McMinniman's, Oregon. Sounds like McMinnville, sorry, sounds like McMinniman's. McMinnville, Oregon, where there was a famous photo of a flying saucer in the air that a farmer supposedly took in the early 50s. And you see like a windmill not too far away. And and the photos deemed legitimate. Definitely a solid shape, almost looked like a hat in the air. And that's what made the town of McMinnville famous. And McMinnimans bought the old hotel, renamed it to Hotel Oregon. And that's the center of that annual festival that takes place there and they had some of the famous ufo researchers as portraits on the wall and i've known a couple of these people up on the walls you know i'm not on the wall but they're on the wall and so it's interesting some of these famous locations of ufo events are commemorated in annual festivals that are like parades but good lecturers and fun and mcminnville Puts on a parade of little kids and animals and pets dressed up as aliens. And it's all that. It's almost like, do you remember the old cargo cult in these Pacific Islands where they made the shape of airplanes because they thought airplanes were extraterrestrials coming? Oh, yeah. You know, the days of early planes. And it's like some of the famous UFO locations are commemorated with annual conferences, serious conferences with good speakers. Often, But the silliness aspect of the whole UFO thing. Area 51 has that. Roswell has that. Giant Rock in California has that annual event. Places that have had significant UFO sightings often have an annual event that commemorates it. When I told you about that pilot in Oregon who flew a private plane and saw what he called were flying disks, that town has an annual event, and I have usually have a book table. I have my books at the book table, and I talk to people and really enjoy it. I have a lot of fun, but I really meet some interesting authors and writers and researchers doing going to some of these events.
0: They should celebrate if they if they've had a sighting, and not everything has to be serious. So that's great that they have one legitimate speakers, which would be important. But also have the fun aspect of it turn it into a carnival and a dress up and
1: who can dress a little as the bit best of it. alien you know but like it, yeah, it-, it turns off some people you know but others they commemorate it they uh celebrate it I mean we just don't know what it's all about but maybe that's right. a little premature but that's how people deal with it make it into an event and attracts people that have experiences or are inter- interested in it so there's a lot of serious People, researchers, and people involved in it. And I know a lot of them. And I saw Bob Lazar at one of these talks. What's his name? The Las Vegas, famous Las Vegas uh, newscaster. George and, Knapp. Uh, George Knapp. Yeah. He was, he's there usually. And I would meet old friends and we'd sit and have meals together and talk over, just like you and I are doing. And I've loved doing that. I've done that for many, many years. Go on to these.
0: Next time we do this, we'll each make a dinner at our own houses and we can eat and talk as we're doing this. That would be good. (laughs) That'd be good. So the fun aspect though, as long as you're not, it's not a mockery, you should make fun out of it. And then you're going to have the people on the fence who are coming, you know, they want to see an animal or they want, their kids want to do the face painting. And then maybe you hear a good legitimate story that opens your mind. So the people- Well, I I
1: interviewed, I interviewed Jesse Marcel Jr., the son of the base. Intelligence officer that claimed to go to one part of the wreckage and bring it back and wake up his wife and kid, who I was interviewing for fifteen minutes at McMinnville. I had a sat at a table and interviewed him and got a a fantastic ten or fifteen minute interview on my cell phone, and he was his interview is in one of my books, and that's how I conducted a lot of my interviews over the years at these events and build up. Lapa suddenly turned around and found I had 2,000 interviews of all different kinds of things and been working on them ever since.
0: Oh, that's great. All right, before I let you go, I have one and a half ghost stories to tell you that happened. Okay, me. great. So my aunt used to live in Croydon or Ben Salem, and they had a new construction home. And we would go up there. You know, I was maybe 10 or so. So there's four siblings and then my two parents and we'd go up there and we would sleep over and hang out on the weekend. They had a pool and you know barbecue and all that good stuff. And they had a ghost in their house, and it would either walk down the steps, and you could you know you're sitting in the kitchen and we're having breakfast, and you know the sound of somebody walking down the steps. You would hear them walk down the steps, and then you would turn and expect to see somebody, and nobody's there. And the entire house, all the people living there, are in the kitchen having breakfast. So nobody could be walking. And this happened so often. It was such a strange feeling of hearing someone on the steps and like, you know, expecting to see my aunt or my uncle or even my mom or dad coming down from the room they were staying in and nobody there. And then there were times in early in the morning, five, six in the morning, I would wake up and other people in the house woke up to the same thing at different times. But you would wake up and hear the vacuum running. Uh, come down in the morning and you know and say why why are you guys vacuuming at five in the morning and we go no nope, nope that's the ghost that's the ghost we hear it all the time and never would see vacuum marks and like the house wouldn't be cleaner the house was clean but you know the, the ghost wasn't dust busting but you would hear the vacuum so that was very strange and kind of fun because it was uh, the lighter side of of a haunting or whatever you want to call it and so then my my point five ghost story is uh, we moved into this house in December 2020. So we sold our old house in November. We're staying, rented a house down the shore in the off season, put all our stuff in storage. It was, you know, trying to juggle kids with remote and the pandemic, just craziness. So yeah. they've ripped up the the carpet upstairs and and replaced with hardwood. And I learned my lesson from my first house is that if if you don't get things fixed inside, like it's one thing to fix drywall, but if you plan on ripping up carpet, and you move your bedroom furniture and put it in there that bedroom furniture is never leaving it is it's just not happening like where do you put furniture so we had this small window that they could come in from the day that we closed rip up the carpet put in hardwood all this stuff and i would drive up from promotion city to where i am which is about an hour 45 minutes to an hour whatever and i would come up and clean up at night and clean up all the dust from all their sanding and all this stuff and you know they were working until midnight the one night and i was like guys like i need this done we ended up moving into our house on Christmas Eve. It's like finally moved in. <laughs> Santa came. The, the tree was up. The presents under the tree. Miraculously, we got here at six p.m. It all worked out. But so I'm telling these guys, like you yeah, guys, like three days, like please, like let's let's go, let's go. And I'm cleaning up, and it's one o'clock in the morning, and it's a brand new house to me. So it's a little, it's dark. There's not a lot of light. It's a little creepy. It's a new neighborhood. I live on the edge of the Pine Barrens out here, and I'm sweeping, and an air compressor. Upstairs in one of the rooms they were working on, I guess reached its fill, or whatever it did, and it went off. I have never jumped so high in my entire life. I'm calling the guy, and I'm like, what "Are your guys up there? Like, what happened?" And he's like, "Oh no, no, it's just the air compressor. Don't worry." I think my heart. It, it took a year and a half for my heart to settle down from that. That was. I was like, I was convinced for a split second that this. I was like, we're not moving in. This house is done. I'm not living here. But that was. Uh, you know, it's like did one it, o'clock in the morning.
1: Did did it ever recur again?
0: No, no. Well, no. No, there was just the, they did it once and then he told me to go up there and unplug it. So I ran upstairs. I was like, well, I don't want to step on the stain. I don't want to ruin it. He's like, no, no, you're fine. Just go ahead. I ran upstairs. I unplugged the air compressor. I guess they, they didn't unplug it. I'm not 100% sure how air compressors work. But I've it, heard many stories
1: own. of talking toys turning on, little toy that walks, you know? Yeah. A lot uh, of that stuff happens.
0: I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that stuff has happened. I've just written that off as, you know, either my cat knocked it and unlodged the toy that the kids had winded up or something.
1: Yeah, Can I but- tell the audience uh, a uh, one of my books in my Road to Strange series that might be interesting to them because I have lots of different kinds of phenomena collected together, and I call it a psychic reader. It's the Road to Strange, colon, a psychic reader. That's one of my books on the UFOs and the paranormals. And it's got all kinds of odd things that are not strictly easily definable. In case people are interested. Do you have an example you want to give real quick? Uh, Well, I talked about some some of the things that are also in there. But, for example, these two guys are on a train somewhere in Europe. And this blue orb is inside the train. And it's getting bigger and bigger and bluer and brighter. And the conductor walk past says, what's going on in here? You know, opens the door and they see this blue orb and the conductor is totally freaked out and he runs off and it disappeared. But the fact that it, it occurred on a train like that isn't easily classified. You you know where what category did put that in. So I gathered all the strange paranormal stuff that didn't make it into the first two volumes that I co authored with a very famous paranormal researcher named Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who we lost in 2018. She passed away too early in her life. She and I were going to do a couple more books together. The first one we did was on, called Travel Tales, Paranormal, UFOs and the Paranormal. And the second one was on more or less UFOs. And so she said to me, Michael, don't make a book that's more than 250 pages, you know as Publishing 101. Of course, after she was gone, I had all this material that we were going to work on together, and we couldn't. So I made two books that are almost like 500 pages each, uh, huge books, because it's all the material she and I would have gone over and cherry-picked through it for whatever we are going to do next. And then the most recent one on that subject I called Travel Tales, Ghost Encounters, which is all my hotel ghost stories, all the ghost interviews and apparitions. And it has an index in the back of it with a list of like some 50 or so categories of ghosts and that type of entities that are not, you know, strictly ghosts, but maybe related. So I keep writing on it and it may be of interest to some of the listeners. Well, I, I think it.
0: they definitely would be interested. And this is my ninth time. I'm saying, like, right before I let you go, one more thing. So I was just thinking back and thinking about. I really like that story of that woman that you saw on three different beaches. And one thing that I believe in is that your family, you know, it can be your direct family or close friends, people you interact with. You know, I believe in like a soul family that you know we're kind of connected, and we choose to come here, and we choose to interact and have a close relationship with the people that we want to. And you know, maybe in future or in past versions, and in the future. You know you might not always be who you are and you just switch around, but you know, my wife and children, like we're always gonna be connected forever. And sometimes, you know, you hit off with a person you've never met before and you have this great conversation. You have this connection, and you're like, how come there's people I've known for 20 years I can't talk to you like this? And you know, I just met you and it's you know, so with that, you know, this doesn't have to be this close person you're gonna talk to forever and, and all this stuff, but you just happen to pass by and make that connection,
1: that that imprint. and Especially when you're both walking down the road to strange. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> but if you were to subscribe to those same beliefs, I think that woman interacts into your life to trigger things to remind you of either have fun and enjoy this road to strange that we're on, that we live on, you know, or, or whatever. But it, might it may do. not
1: be but- over. It may not be over <laughs> just because we've had these synchronicities there may be another time, another place, where for some reason that gets replayed or has something to do with the future. Uh, When's we just your next trip know. to the beach? <laughs> well, no, I could, I could meet her walking down the street. Right, it has you to know, be a beach be or three for three. Right beaches, here, where yeah. I live. Yeah, yeah, wow, three that's... for three is pretty, pretty damn good. But I'll just tell you one other quick story. I kept running into the same woman in Isla de Mojeres, uh, uh, not Cancun, but that other Cozumel, that whole area in the Mexican peninsula. And I kept running into this woman all the time. And we laughed. We almost had a little fling, but not quite, you know. And I said, well, maybe it's meant to be, you know. And we laughed and all that because we kept running into each other. But But you do that. That's not such a Chichen Itza area. That's not such a huge area that you can't keep running into people and all that. But I called her the Todavia woman, meaning Todavia, meaning kind of the not yet or the never woman. That is, we were never going to have a fling, but we kept running into each other. It was just funny. We laughed about it. That's That's in my earlier days. (laughs)
0: Last summer, I... Drove up to the Finger Lakes with my wife for a couple of days, celebrate our anniversary. And we're having dinner at a restaurant. And it's a small little side room. And there's only three tables in there. And the other table got up. So there's just two tables, my wife and I and another couple. And then I start hearing, they were, you could hear each other. Wasn't particularly listening, intent, you know, too hardly or eavesdropping. But you could hear what was being said. And I just start hearing street numbers. They're talking about, oh, Route 70, Route 73, 295. And these are all things in South Jersey and
1: huh.
0: Burlington, Camden County area that I live and and have lived for most of my life. And so I just leaned over and I was, I was like, oh, hey, guys, like, sorry, I'm just here in these these roads. I'm like, do you live in the Cherry Hill area? I'm like, oh, yeah, we both live. And like, so we drive four hours to have dinner next to people that live 10 minutes away from us. And so it was, it was kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Of, of all the restaurants it, it, you in know, Ithaca, New York, that, and you end up sitting next yeah. to people that you could have just saw at you know right down the street. I think and it probably means have something. sat next to them. You know, yeah, it has to be. You know, it has to be something. But yeah, that was fun. Michael, I sincerely appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Where can people find you? Where, where can we direct people?
1: Okay, thank you. Books the number two read.com forward slash Michael hyphen Brian, B-R-E-I-N, bookstoread.com forward slash Michael hyphen Brian, B-R-E-I-N. And that shows all the different books I'm writing on all these subjects.
0: Great. Do you have any conferences coming up? What's nothing on the books yet? Do you have any conferences coming up or nothing on the books right now?
1: Uh, I would love to go to McMinnville, which is coming up, but I think probably the timing is not good for me at this time. I certainly have been to a lot of the Washington State MUFON, Mutual UFO Network meetings, which meets about an hour from where I live. And then we have some Seattle meetings that I go to occasionally. Uh, And I used to go to Eureka Springs, Arkansas. I went 20 different years to the Ozark UFO conference that we had there. It was one of the best ever because we had UFO researchers and authors coming there all the time and you had dinners with one another and it was just wonderful, but I haven't been doing that recently. I would love to come to the Philadelphia thing. That's going to be happening, but I just don't plan to be back East anytime soon.
0: You never know what synchronicity is going to work out and you end up over here. Don't write it off completely.
1: I would love to. I will. <laughs> well, not
0: You come over Thank to Thank you area for having me know. as a guest. I appreciate I it. Would. Everybody go find yes. Michael Go pick up his books. Let him know that you heard him on Wild and Weird. Thank you so much. Have a great night.
1: Thank you, you too.
0: All right, everyone. That was our show. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Like and follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on all things wild and weird. Check out the links in the show notes for more information on our guest. The biggest support you can offer is to tell everyone about the podcast. Until next time.